Acts chapter 26, Acts chapter 26. It's been three or four years ago, um, I preached a message from a different text that had some similar information in it, and uh, this has been a reoccurring theme uh, in my life since uh, my cancer diagnosis and since uh, uh, losing an eye. Um, I concluded after just short contemplation, actually, and the Lord moved in my heart right away uh, that nothing has changed in my life concerning my purpose. My purpose is still the same. It's still to honor Him, still to live for Christ, uh, still to use my life uh, any way that uh, He sees fit. And uh, that's how the Apostle Paul began his ministry, all right? Fulfilling the purpose of God. God told him, right at the beginning, that he was going to have a very unique ministry and that he was going to show him the purpose that he had for his life. So Acts chapter 26, with that in mind, uh, let me get where I can uh, see these words, though I do have them memorized. And usually when I say I have it memorized, I can't remember them. But anyway, here we go. Acts chapter 26, verse 16. Paul is giving his testimony. Uh, He is before Agrippa, and uh, he is... uh, This is the third time we read the testimony in the book of Acts, by the way. And uh, Paul used his testimony uh, as a springboard uh, for the gospel message. And he's doing that uh, here very clearly. And he's giving the report of the words that were spoken to him on the Damascus road. We read it, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, there's our word, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people, that's the Israelites, that's the Jews, and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. And so we know that Paul was uniquely fitted and and sent uh, to reach Gentiles, and he did that very effectively. What was the purpose? How was he going to do it? Verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient under the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet or fit corresponding for repentance. And then verse 21, we're not going to look at that, but just to see the little context, we haven't given you much. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. All right. So he's telling them why he's standing before them. Because the Jews, and we're going to see they were hostile. They wanted to kill him. Uh, They wanted any way they could uh, to take his life. They wanted him to be tried before them. And then in the course of all that, Paul uh, appealed unto Caesar And he was given an all-expense-paid trip uh, to Rome eventually because of that, all right? So that's not the way you want to get an all-expense-paid trip. 
Let me ask you today, what is your purpose? What is your purpose? Why are you here? I mean, on this planet. Why, why has God saved you? What do you want to accomplish? What uh, do you think you should be accomplishing uh, in your life? I'm not asking for your major. I'm not asking for your goals for life success. I'm not even asking what your future occupation is going to be because that's really not synonymous with your purpose. You may, uh, you may go to a faraway mission field or you may stay in one county all of your life. We, my wife and I ministered in a place where there were a great number of people that had never left the state and some that had never left the county, all right? I don't understand that, and probably you don't either, uh, but they could fulfill God's purpose for them in the place where God uh, had them just as sure as somebody that was at a far-off mission field uh, serving the Lord because your purpose and your geography are not the same thing. Your purpose and your ultimate occupation, though they relate, to be sure, are not synonymous. They don't, they don't tie together in, in that one is the other. And so you may have various opportunities or limitations, but your purpose is unchanging. God had a purpose for Paul. And he has one for you, and he has one for me as well. And so in our text, again, Paul is recounting his conversion, and God is telling him, I'm here, I've raised you up, stand up, I have a purpose for you. And so our text then speaks of God's purpose. God's purpose for Paul involved turning sinners from darkness to light and all the other things that are mentioned here. His purpose was to be an apostle, a sent one, a teacher, and a, and a preacher of the gospel. And so Paul fully embraced God's purpose by making God's purpose his purpose. That's the key to life right there. I've often quoted the great American blue-collar philosopher Yogi Berra. And he's the one that said, if you don't know where you're going, you may end up somewhere else. And that is profound. You need to know what your purpose is. You need to know where you are going or you're not going to end up where you think you want to end up in life. Your life's not going to count for God as you would want it to count and you would hope it would count at the judgment seat. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Paul related every aspect of his life to the supreme purpose of knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord Philippians 3.10 is an example that I may know him. And making him known to others. Uh, His focus was on the gospel. And his focus is on getting that gospel uh, to all men. Uh, You can see that in 1 Corinthians 9.23 and 10.33 if you want to look them up later. But Paul understood, and each of us must likewise understand, that God's purpose becomes our purpose when we get saved. Did you hear that? God's purpose becomes our purpose when we get saved. The only question is, is how obedient will we be to that heavenly vision, in Paul's case, or that godly purpose that God has called us to, in our case. And so Paul's purpose for life and ministry was revealed then at his conversion. God called him to be sent. Again, look at your text. 
I, I've appeared unto thee for this purpose. And then at the end of verse 17, it says, from the Gentiles, gonna, they're going to be delivered, he is, whom, unto whom now I what? I send thee. And so Jesus made Paul an apostle, a sent one. He was saved in order to be sent. And in that sense, you're a missionary, and, and so am I. We're all missionaries in that same sense. We've been called to a ministry of evangelism and discipleship to do our part in great commission living and serving. Paul was called a minister and a witness. God embraced that purpose, or Paul did, God's purpose for reaching the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 13, if you want to go back a few pages and uh, take a look at this, I, you can do so. I'm not going to camp there very long at all. And I think I've shared this uh, sometime in chapel, but Paul and Barnabas turned to the Gentiles. It's recorded in Acts chapter 13 and verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So from the Jews to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, this is a quote from Isaiah 49, verse 6, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Whoa, that's pretty clear. The only thing that's not clear is when you go back into the Old Testament and you look at Isaiah 49, 6, you'll find that it's not a command. It's a prophecy. It's, it's a prophecy of what God is going to do, what God is going to accomplish. And now the Apostle Paul goes back and say, with Barnabas, they say, whoa, uh, that's a command. Why is that? How could that possibly be? Well, the truth of it is, whatever God desires, whatever his purpose is, ought to be our command. Have you ever heard the expression, uh, your wish is my command, all right? Uh, my wife says that to me all the time. All right, you're not laughing because knowing her, she could be doing that, all right? All right, but uh, she acts that way. I'm going to tell you what, uh, when I was growing up, uh, I didn't have to be told by my dad a lot of specifics. I already knew what would please him and what wouldn't please him. And I'm going to tell you right now, in the case of my dad anyway, uh, you know, I didn't want to be on the displeased side of things, okay? I really didn't. And so I could make choices in life based upon what I knew. When I was a pastor for, you know, 30 plus years, and uh, I had people all the time come to me and say, you know, someone asked this question, and I told them, well, you would not want them to do that, or this is what you would prefer they would do, and uh, because they already knew, okay, what my desire would be based upon experience with me and my affinity to following the truth of God, and, and that's a good thing. So the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, they take a look at this, they say, wait a minute, if God's plan is to save the Gentiles, then that's get aligned with the plan. Uh, that's get on board. Uh, that's, that's, that's do what God wants to be, have accomplished. That's, that's make uh, God's goal our goal. And in, in the context here, we turn, God commanded us, we publish the message, 
And God allowed them that choice, the free activity of his witnesses is all through the scripture. He doesn't make us do certain things. Uh, He doesn't make us witness, but he gives us a choice to obey him because we love him, uh, to publish the word of God, to obey his commands, and to go where he would want us to go. So again, the command was not a command in Isaiah, but they understood the purpose of Messiah. They understood his mission, and they took it as a command to further the cause of God, which leads to another text. That's a similar type of thing, but a little different. In in Romans chapter 1 and verse 14, any good missionary uh, will have this in his repertoire uh, as he goes to the churches. He's going to preach the the I am's of Romans chapter 1. But one of them is this. Paul said, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Wow, I've been saved and so I owe everything to Christ, right? Yeah, say yes. Yes, we do. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. But that's not what the text says. The text says I'm debtor not to Christ, but I'm debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the unwise. Why do I owe them anything? I owe Jesus everything. I I don't owe these people that I've never met anything, do I? Why am I in debt to these? Well, it's very simple. That was the goal of the Lord Jesus Christ when he came into the world and he died for the sins of mankind. And now that I belong to him, I'm bound to the plan and the desires of my liberator. And now he sends me to carry the message that he laid the foundation for at Calvary's cross. Now I follow him in fulfilling his mission Paul was representing the purpose of Jesus and calling sinners to the Savior. Because I owe Jesus, I will serve Jesus. I am loved by Jesus, therefore I will love those whom he loves. I mentioned my dad. My dad was a policeman and lived a really hard life. Frankly, he did. And, uh, but he helped a man named Tim one time. And I, I got to know Tim because he was halfway in between my dad's age and my age. And so... Uh, my dad's friend became my friend, and, and here's how it happened. My dad helped this man and kept him out of very, very serious consequences, trouble and consequences. And the man was indebted to my father for that, and uh, he could never pay my father back for what my father had done, but he could pay back in a sense that he could help my father's son. And he helped me at a very critical time of my life. He was paying the debt, not to my father, but to me. He was carrying out the purpose of my father and the wishes of my father. And they weren't uh, mandated upon him in any way. But he became a debtor. I owe Jesus. I'm obligated to fulfill his mission The gospel places every recipient under obligation to this debt. And Paul is now identified with the concerns of Christ for the entire world. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. When you owe your life to Christ, you have a sense of your responsibility to others. And so, how do I pay it? As the Father sent me, so send I you. There was such a passion in Paul's ministry because Jesus was ever with him, encouraging him and helping him. 
and caring for him and working through him. And, and so there was a great satisfaction in doing the purpose of God. Isaac Watts wrote, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Anything else, anything less than my all given to Christ and gratitude for what he has done for me would be an offering far too small, according to Watts. He writes as a man with purpose. Paul writes to Timothy and he said, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering. He was a man that was driven, a man with purpose to serve Christ. So Paul's purpose then is described in the content of the message before us. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. This was a commitment to convert sinners and teach saints. How do we get that? Well, look at the last part of, of the verse. An inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. This message here is about sanctification. God's purpose for us and others is Christ-likeness. And this includes making disciples, baptizing and teaching them, which necessitates, by the way, the establishment of local churches in this process where the word is taught. The sanctification itself is in three parts or three senses. There's initial sanctification, and we call that justification. And then there's progressive sanctification, where we become more and more like the Savior. And then there's final sanctification, which is glorification. And if you study the word save in the New Testament, we're not going to go there now, you're going to find out that the word save is used for every aspect, all three aspects. And so we're starting with sanctification, point in time justification. It continues. And then finally it's completed when we become like Christ and, and glorification. And in every sense, this matter of sus, uh, sanctification has an initial and continuing part. And so eyes are opened at justification. I described what happened to me as we opened the service today. And they continue to be open to truth with present applications to life and ministry. It's an ongoing thing. We are turned from and even delivered from darkness and the power of Satan. And we continue to be delivered as we grow in Jesus Christ. And so how does that happen? Again, sanctification comes through the word. John 17 and verse 17. We're cleansed with the washing of water by the word. Ephesians 5 and Verse 25. And so again, this is a local church-focused ministry. You know, you, you have private time in the Bible, to be sure, but we have corporate time when pastors and teachers teach us and where the Word of God is expounded and we grow in Christ. And that's all part of the sanctification process that God has ordained. And so we, we're given a new understanding and appreciation to open their eyes the gospel opens the eyes of those that are spiritually blind and turns people from darkness to light, the light of God's word, the glorious gospel of Christ. Satan tries to blind men from that, but God opens their eyes and the image of God shines unto them and, and they're converted. 1 Peter 2.9 talks about being called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so our aim 
in following the purpose of God is to give sight to blind eyes. That's the goal of evangelism. So, whoa, wait a minute. How can we do that? God's the one who has to do that. I agree totally. God has to do it. But isn't it curious that Paul was called to do it? You know what the text says? To open their eyes and to turn them? Paul was called to do that. Christ sends Paul to do it, and he sends us to do it in the same sense, to become partners with God, to stand in Christ's stead and say, be reconciled to God, to rely upon the Spirit of God, to work in conviction in the lost, to show them their need of Christ. Yes, he wants to use us as instruments uh, to allow that and to cause that uh, to happen in the lives of others. 1 Corinthians 9.22, this will knock your socks off if you wear them. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Wait a minute, Paul, you don't do the saving. You must have misspoken that passage. No, Paul didn't misspeak. He recognized himself as an instrument to be used by God to fulfill the purpose of God to bring sinners unto the Savior. Jude says the same thing. And others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Literally, it says, and others you save with fear. Oh, that's our responsibility to save them and pull them out of the fire? That's what happens when you preach the gospel and someone comes under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and trusts Christ as Savior. In a sense, we have become partners with God. God does the saving, to be sure. By the way, new converts sometimes get all mixed up. You know, Pete Wright leads someone to the Lord and he's trying to tell somebody what happened. Tell them them what happened, Pete says. Oh, Peter saved me. No, no, no. He says, no, 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 no. I didn't do that. Wouldn't you say that? You'd right away try to correct them. And so five minutes later, they're telling the story all over again. Pete Wright saved me. No, no, no. Wait a minute. A new convert instinctively understands that you are an instrument in the hands of God. And that's what we want to be to fulfill the purpose of God. And so the word of God opens men's eyes as the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And to open men's eyes, we have to get the truth of the gospel to them. Of his own will begat us with the word of truth. That's our job. The Holy Spirit never opens the eyes of the heart until there is gospel truth in the mind to believe. It goes together. When the word of God comes to men, they suddenly see what they never saw before. They now see the world and its connections with God and his purposes. It's God's world. He made it. He owns the world and everything in it. And now they understand that. To turn them from darkness to light, there's a new direction and new actions. The language of light and darkness is found throughout the New Testament. It's a a metaphor uh, for two ways of living. Living according to the world under Satan, in darkness and sin, separated from God, and living according to the Word, life in Christ, a life marked by righteousness, walking in the will of God, and not living according to the flesh. Notice, to turn, you say, what is that? Well, it's to repent. How do you know that? Well, I just know it from 
comprehensive understanding of Scripture, but if you need justification, look at verse 20. It's very clear there that they should repent and turn to God and do works fit for repentance. We're going to see this, at the, how, the, how this goes together. Christians are repenting people. We don't just repent one time and trust Christ as our Savior, but it becomes a pattern of life uh, for us. We, we turn and we, we do works that correspond to the fact that we've been saved, fit or meet for repentance. It continues out in our life, and that's all part of the bigger picture of sanctification that we, that we see in our text. The Christian life is a repenting life. It's a life that says no to ungodliness and worldly lusts. To turn involves actions and activities. Did you get that? Actions and activities. It dictates direction and establishes values, and all of that comes from the heart. When the heart is changed, the life is changed. Works. It didn't say thoughts. That's where it begins. The heart's been changed to be sure, but it changes our actions. It changes our activities. It changes our direction. It changes the course of our life. When God saves a sinner, we're indebted to him and we now want to follow his purposes. We become willing slaves of righteousness. As Wesley put it, Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. And I went about business as usual. It's not what Wesley said. He said, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. I continue in the word and become his disciple indeed. I walk in newness of life. Being saved doesn't give me a license to to sin. It doesn't lead to an antinomian lifestyle, but it leads to a lifestyle that follows the purpose of my liberator. Our desire to glorify God in all things determines, don't shut me off, our music and our dress. We have so rejected the legalistic, checklist type of Christianity that we all reject, by the way. We have so rejected it that we've allowed the pendulum to swing to the other side where we say none of that matters. We can do what we want. We can look how we want. We can enjoy whatever entertainment we want, and it doesn't really matter. And I'm here to tell you, it does matter. I went up to Dr. Jones afterwards. He had a great message yesterday, Psalm 137. How can we sing the Lord's songs in a strange land? I said, you know, about 30 years ago, I preached a message, you know, and I kind of reversed it, all right? How can we sing strange songs in the Lord's church? Doesn't fit. If we've been liberated, our direction changes, our tastes change, our desires change. We reject ungodliness and worldly lust, and we want to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So everything matters. Social media matters. Entertainment matters. Our use of other things matter. Everything matters. 
One of my alma maters was known as being distinctively Christian, but they lost any distinction they had, and they incrementally abandoned any distinction. Uh, for instance, uh, can, you, can you imagine uh, your dorm supervisor inviting you to go out clubbing, if you know what that is? And that was happening. And now they have gone from no distinction to extinction. They don't exist. And I'm telling you right now, it bothers me what happened over the years, but in the final analysis, I'm glad uh, that they have found extinction because what they were doing was so contrary to what they once preached. And so, darkness and light. The books of John and 1 John teach us about those in fellowship with Jesus Christ. They will not walk in darkness. John 8, 12, but have the the light of life, 1 John 1, 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we, we lie and do not the truth. And so how do you define darkness? Does your definition lead you to any specific decisions and any specific conduct? Do you, do you resent anyone making specific applications? Uh, do, do parents have the right uh, to say this is good for you and this isn't good for you as you're growing up? Or do we only talk to Jesus. I had a church member one time, I only obeyed Jesus. And I looked at their, you know what I'm talking about, I looked at their son becoming a teenager and I said, what if he said that to you? Oh. There are authority structures, are, are there not? Yes. And we're under those and many times and even most of the time they're for our good. So when we're talking about light and darkness, is it right to to leave it in the theoretical without obvious practical applications? I I think it's really a problem to leave applications in the realm of the undefined and undeclared. In fact, I think pastors are, are guilty of high treason in their duty to the king of kings and the head of the church to leave it in that realm. God is concerned about all of Christian life, and we are not to spend our life saying, well, there's nothing wrong with it. Well, there's nothing wrong with it. Now, that might be a good first question, is there anything wrong with it? But it shouldn't take you very long in your Christian life to get beyond, if it, is it right or is it wrong? How about, is it good? Is it better? Is it best? Does this action, activity... Uh, Does it best allow me to fulfill the purpose of Christ who gave everything for me? Or do I want to spend the rest of my life just walking on the edge of God's will? Well, I've got to wrap it up, but notice the purpose or result of turning them is that they may receive forgiveness of sins. He's speaking uh, to Agrippa and Bernice, and they knew enough to know uh, that what they were doing was wrong in their relationship. We won't go into that. Uh, And their consciences were pricked. And he's basically saying, forgiveness, Agrippa, is available, but you must turn. You can't come to Christ with a desire just to continue in the old path and continue in the paths of sin. No, you're coming to someone that's going to liberate you from the consequences of those sins in every aspect, in every regard. Notice that 
There are people that try to divide justification and sanctification, and our text does not allow that. It's an erroneous notion that justification and sanctification can be separated. You see, it's initial sanctification, continuing sanctification, and final sanctification, and it's a package deal. I used to work in the hardware department of a store like a Walmart. I was the manager of that, and you know, that tells you how pathetic it was. I didn't know the first thing about what I was selling uh, in many cases. People would come in and say, I need one of these. And I'm thinking, what is that? All right? And you know, they're doing some plumbing or something, you know, and, and, uh, and are they, they need one little bolt or screw. I need one of these. Well, we don't sell just one of those, we got packages. And so I'd take them over and I'd say, uh, we can sell you this. There's one of those in that. They'd say, I don't want all of that. I just want this one, you know? And I'd say, I, I'm sorry, it's a package deal. Now, I do have, have to confess, I had to clean up the bottom of the gondola oftentimes where they broke the package open and stole what they wanted and walked out. But you can't do that with God. It's a package deal. We begin with him, we continue with him, we end with him. He's working in sanctification from beginning to end. You can't have justification without sanctification. Yet many people today are satisfied with making a verbal profession that did nothing to change their life and frankly probably did nothing to save their soul. A person is changed when he repents. He's cleansed from sin takes his place among those who obtain spiritual inheritance through faith in Christ. All right. As usual, I've got lots more to say. And you're done listening. Almost. Give me a minute here because let's go back. You say, well, that's good. I see Paul's purpose. And, you know, he was an apostle. I'm not an apostle. How do you know that's my purpose? Well, if you didn't get it, how do we know We haven't seen a heavenly vision to be sure, but we have many applications in Scripture. Just like Barnabas and Paul looked at the Old Testament and found a verse that was a prophecy and a description of what Messiah's mission was going to be, we have a Bible, we can open it up and we can see what God's plan is what God's trying to accomplish in lives and what God's trying to accomplish in the world. And we can say, wait a minute, it's very clear. I see what God has commanded me to do because I want to follow him. And I'm going to tell you, it's not rocket science for me to say to you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, every one of you should be committed to the purpose of God through the local church for the rest of your lives or until Jesus comes. That's not rocket science. That's just simply saying, wait a minute, Jesus saved me. What's his mission in the world? I can't live my life now without being involved in that mission. Application. It's there. You don't need a heavenly vision. How about implication? I am debtor. My life plans and your life plans should always place God's plan above all else. As a pastor, I could never understand it when someone would come to me and say, hey, I got a new job offer. It's great. It's a promotion. It's a lot more money, and we're moving. Well, in a very few circumstances, I was glad to hear that. You can figure it out. But most of the time, I would ask the question, well, 
Whoa, I'm glad for you. What church will you be attending in your new location? Oh, I don't know, but there's, we'll find something. Oh, backwards, backwards, backwards. What's God have for me? God may indeed be moving them. But to not have even checked to see what is available for the spiritual health of the family is a big mistake. My plan should always place God's plan above everything else and all my educational choices and all of my occupational choices and every choice that I make like that, it should be at the forefront. And so how we serve is governed by authority to be sure. Churches call pastors and send missionaries. It's governed by opportunity. I could embellish these. Specific opportunities are provided, and they're providentially controlled by God. Uh, these are called open doors in the Scripture. And giftedness and preparation fit into the whole matter. Now, it's amazing. My dad's come up several times in this message, even before we got started with his birthday tomorrow and all of that. And maybe that's what's been on my mind because it has been 40 years since my dad passed away. He was a Christian 10 years, got saved after I did. And, but you know, after he got saved, he recognized that he wasn't prepared. He was 44 years old. He died at 54. He's 44 years old. Uh, he had never been in church. He never studied the Bible. He didn't have any Christian background. And, and, and one time he said, Marty, I, I'm going to be retiring. What can I do for the Lord? And sadly, my wife remembers how I struggled with this. Sadly, I, I had a hard time coming up with something because my dad had not taken the time uh, to prepare himself for something different, something else that he could do for God. Now, I'll tell you what he did do. The little bit of money he had, he invested it. All the time investing in the things of God and trying to advance the, the gospel with what he had. He was trying to align his life with the purpose of God. Now let me say this. I think about you. You have incredible opportunities to prepare yourself for a lifetime of service for Jesus Christ in the local church, as a pastor, as a deacon, some of you men, uh, as Christian day school teachers, as missionaries on the field, and all that is great. I think that we need many more right now. But every one of you, no matter who is here, no matter who's listening to my voice today, every one of you has been called to advance the cause of Christ in the local church. And you ought to be preparing yourself to be the absolute best servant and most effective servant that you can be as you serve there. And take every opportunity and pray for open doors. Make God's purpose your purpose in all that you do. And when you get to the end of your life, you won't have a sense that your life has been wasted. That it's been invested wisely. You'll never think that you've done enough for God. We can never pay the debt Paul knew it was an ongoing debt that could never ultimately be paid. But we can be on that course with our entire life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness today. Thank you for giving us the opportunity of serving you. I pray your blessing on these students. Use them, I pray, for your glory. May they submit to your will in all things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.